You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, thank you for the gift of being able to gather with your people um, for your glory. Lord, I pray now that you would use this time as you see fit. I pray that you would speak clearly through me. I pray, Lord, that you would open up all of our ears, um, undistract our minds, Lord, and give us hearts that are set on you. Father, I pray that as we look at Peter, that we would see ourselves and that we would be reminded that Lord, you, you love Peters, and that means you love us. And so would you use this time? Would you bless this time? Holy Spirit, um, we just pray for your guidance. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this is class number two in, of three, talking about Peter. First week, we looked at just some Peter basics. We covered some stories of Peter early on with Jesus. We, we talked about Jesus walking on, I mean, Peter walking on water and Jesus walking on water. Uh, the transfiguration, we looked at the initial call of Peter. But today, we're really honing in on the last couple days of Jesus' life, leading up to the big Peter moment, the threefold denial of Jesus. So poor Peter, he, we've got a lot of... Um, Peter, not so great stories to look at today. But if you remember nothing else from either last week or this week or the, the next week, I hope that you remember that we are all just like Peter. We're all really, really sinful. We're all deeply flawed. We're all really prideful. We're all very insecure. We're always trying to earn our way to Jesus. We are, we're like Peter in so many ways. We're like Peter in the sense that we turn our back on Jesus. And yet, the good news is that Jesus is always in pursuit of Peter. Jesus is actively ensuring that Peter's not going to slip out of his loving embrace. Jesus loves Peter, he pursues Peter, and he has his hand on Peter. Such is the case for all of us as well. So that's what I hope you remember, if nothing else, that Jesus loves Peter to the end, and he loves you and I to the end as well. So that being said, anyone remember just anything that we looked at or learned about Peter from the last class, if anyone was here? You can just blurt out a character trait or something weird that Peter did that you remember. Peter always wants, yes, yes, that's good. That'll, that'll show up especially in this first scene we're going to look at with the Lord's Supper. Someone said the sword with the ear. The that's coming up today too. Such a weird story. It's so weird. We discussed how he like always wanted to sort of have an answer. Mm, right? Yes, <laughs> Peter cares a lot. That's that's really well said, Molly. Yes, Peter cares a lot about being right, but is often wrong. We'll see that especially today. Man, that's like the tagline for my life. <laughs> um, okay, so. Yeah, we, we all know about Peter. So let's, let's get into some of these scenes from the last week of Jesus' life. This first one we're going to see, it's the Last Supper. It's one we know really well. And just to remind you, this, the context is Jesus and his disciples have entered Jerusalem. It's the last week of Jesus' life. It's the last couple days of Jesus' life. And they're sharing what meal together? Passover, yes, the Lord's Supper. And so all along the way, Jesus has been dropping subtle and not so subtle hints about his imminent death and crucifixion and resurrection. And the disciples have been totally clueless. And we're going to see that particularly in Peter. 
All right, so this is John 13. Now before the the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Keep that phrase in mind. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Okay, so before we look at Peter in this story, I think it's worth just remembering Jesus. Jesus is on his way to the cross, and yet what is he doing this night for his disciples? Yes, exactly. He's serving them. He's taking care of them. He is not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped. I mean, we're told pretty um, explicitly Jesus knows the Father, is going back to the Father, and yet he is laying aside this, um, he's laying aside his role as God and serving his disciples here during the Last Supper. Now, Peter, this is what's interesting. When Peter starts to see Jesus washing the disciples' feet, Peter's response is he is appalled because I know we all know this, but the, the role of washing feet belonged to who? Right, the servant. For a peer to wash another peer's feet was unheard of. And so Peter is aghast, and he's like, whoa, 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 Jesus, hold hold the phone. You're going to wash my feet? And he, Jesus, Peter says, no, 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 I'm not going to have this. And then when Jesus tells him, well, Peter, if you want to share with me, you've got to, I've got to wash your feet. Peter goes into classic overperformance Peter mode, right? He's like gold star for Jesus. He goes from, uh, you're not going to wash my feet to, oh my gosh, if I'm going to have my share with you, I need to, you wash my feet and my head. Do it all, Lord. So Peter clearly is totally, totally missing the mark. And like we see all the time with Peter, he tells us a lot of things about our human nature. I think the first thing we see is that like Peter, we don't really think that we need washing. We're, we're like Peter in the sense that we want to serve Jesus rather than have him be the one who serves us. We, we think that we owe Jesus something when in reality, you know, Jesus is, is God of the universe and he certainly does not need anything from us, unlike Peter leads us to believe. And so like Jesus tells us, you know, step number one in having a share with Jesus means recognizing that we need to be washed recognizing that we have a deep heart problem, our sin, and coming to Jesus and saying, yeah, I'm really dirty and I, need you, and I need you to wash me. I need to have a humility that says, I can't do this on my own. Lord, I need you to do it for me. So we'll see this a lot more in the next story, but 
Peter really has way too high a view of himself and a way too low a view of his sin. And the same is true of us. You know, I think the second thing too we see is that like Peter, we tend to be more concerned with performance for Jesus rather than letting him address the issue of our heart. You know, Peter is all about, what can I do for you, Lord? What can I do for you, Lord? And you know, there, there is a beautiful part of that too. We want to serve the Lord out of gratitude for what he's done for us. But Peter doesn't want to address what's really going on in here, the deep uncleanliness of his heart. He would much rather just perform for Jesus so that he can be number one disciple. And the last thing I want to point out about the story, I think this is interesting. I, this just occurred to me as I was preparing for this lesson. So Jesus says, you are clean, but not every one of you. Now, I think it's interesting because who is the not every one of you that Jesus is referring to among this, this group of disciples? Judas, right? Judas is the one that will totally fall away from grace. But I think it's really beautiful that here Jesus is. He knows everything that Peter's going to do. He knows that Peter's going to deny him. He knows that Peter's going to turn his back on him. And yet, Peter is still regarded as clean. Not because of his performance, not because of his good deeds, not because Peter has the right answers, but because he's cleansed through the blood that's about to be shed on the cross by Jesus. So I just think that's really beautiful. Now that you, the same is not true of Judas. Judas is, has an unrepentant heart and he's not clean. But Peter, Peter's safe in Jesus' embrace. And that is especially the case that we'll see in this next story. This is, this is my favorite. I wasn't expecting this to be my favorite story about Peter, but now it is. Okay, so this is from Luke's account of the Passover meal. And oh, this is... This happens, this prediction of, Jesus, of Peter's denial, it happens in every four Gospels, but I love the way that Luke tells us this happened. So this is during the scene of the Last Supper, and Jesus says, Simon, Simon, that's interesting that he uses that name for Peter. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death, which is not true. <laughs> Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Oof, okay. I, I think this is some of the most profound text in all of Scripture. And a couple things I want us to, to notice about this text. Number one, we learn, we're reminded rather, that we have an active enemy, Right? Satan is not passive. He is active. And he's actively going after the people that God has set his seal on. Remember, Peter's been told that he's going to be the rock on which Jesus will build his church. So it really shouldn't shock us that Satan is demanding to have him. Because Satan would would love nothing more than to see his church crumble. And so it's just a sobering reminder to us that that the enemy's out there. And he is he, he's after us. He's after those who have put their faith in Christ. Um, Satan has demanded to have Peter. But here is what's beautiful. Jesus, God himself, has prayed for Peter. That's remarkable, is it not? Uh, He has prayed for for Peter that his faith may not fail. And the same same is, is true of us. Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, is praying for you and for me. I can't explain how he does that. The same way I can't explain how he knows how many numbers of hair on my head versus Margot's head, but he does. He prays for you and for me so that our faith may not fail. 
And without these prayers, without Jesus praying for us that our faith may not fail, we would be handed over to the to the enemy. I know that's that sounds dramatic, but it's true. On our own, we we would not withstand this temptation. But we have a praying Messiah who is praying for you and for me right now. And I don't know about y'all, but I certainly don't live my life with that kind of confidence. I I don't I don't have this awareness that when my faith is really weak, when my prayers are you know, half-hearted and when I fall asleep praying at night, that Jesus is praying for me at the right hand of the Father. We're reminded of this in Hebrews. When the author is talking about the priestly intercession of Jesus, he says, Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, the similar language there of to the end, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I just think it's so cool that Jesus prays for us. And it's a, it's a helpful reminder, too, that I, I know I have people in my life that don't know the Lord or that are far from the Lord and that I try and pray for. I really do. But sometimes I'll either get lazy or I'll get frustrated that I don't see God at work in their lives and I'll just kind of give up if I'm being honest. But Jesus is praying for them, too. I, I find that so, so beautiful. And this text reminds us also that Jesus' prayers are effective. Because look, Jesus says, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Not if, but when. So we know that Jesus' prayers for Peter, they, they will work. Jesus, uh, Peter's faith will not fall because he has a strong Messiah praying for him. It reminds me of something my, my old RUF pastor told me when I was in college. I was going through this season where I just felt like felt like my faith wasn't strong enough. I, I, I'm a lot like Peter. I felt like I wasn't doing enough. I felt like I wasn't feeling enough. I just, I, I was questioning my faith. And I'll never forget, he said, it's not the, the strength of our faith that saves us, but the object. So even though our faith may fail, he will hold us fast because we have, we have a Messiah that's strong. It's not the strength of our faith, but the object. And our object is Jesus Christ himself. All right, last thing to point out about this passage, and again, we saw this in Peter in the previous story, but Peter has a really, really, really skewed view of his abilities. You know, just like us, Peter tends to overestimate himself and to underestimate his his sin, right? Because Peter says, oh, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And literally hours later, Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. And in Matthew, he says it even more explicitly. Peter says, um, how does he put it? He says, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. So Peter really doesn't understand the depravity of, of his sin. And this is why I think it's so important for us that we pray that Jesus shows us our true need for him. Because, I mean, that's step one, like I said, that is step one of us entering into fellowship with him of realizing that our sin is a really, really big problem and that we need Jesus to cleanse us of our sin. And the cross, the good news of the cross too, is that we have the freedom to call a thing what it is. We have the freedom to say, yeah, Jesus, my faith is is really weak. Or yeah, I really messed up again. Or I lied again. I was unkind again. We have the freedom because of the cross to be honest about our sins, to take, a, to take an assessment of what's really going on in our hearts and to bring that to the Lord. And um, good old Peter, he, he hasn't quite gotten there yet of his, his awareness of his sin. 
All right, one well, two more stories. One is one is quick. This is the one we already alluded to. Peter in Gethsemane, the story of of the weirdness with with the ear and the sword. Okay, so here we are in the Garden of Gethsemane. They finished at the Last Supper, and Jesus says, "I need to go pray." So that he takes him and his some of his closest disciples out to the Mount of Olives. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the the brook. Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed them, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. That seems to be a theme in in Peter's life. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that my father has given me? All right, so we all know we all know the story of Gethsemane well. Moments earlier, what has Peter just done in, in this very garden? Fallen asleep. Fallen asleep, yes. Jesus is like, Could you not watch with me one hour? And Jesus can't Jesus can't stay awake while while um, Jesus I'm sorry, Peter can't stay awake while Jesus is praying. And now here's what's hilarious to me about the story. Peter couldn't stay awake one hour as Jesus had asked him. And now Peter thinks, oh, I can save Jesus's life. I can protect him from this band of soldiers that's coming to get him. Let me just whip out my sword and and fight for you, Jesus. And I don't know if he had bad aim. I don't know. I I don't know what's going on with the cutting off of the right ear thing. Um, It's a reminder that the Gospels are a firsthand historical account, right? Um, But... It's so interesting to me that Peter goes into fighting for Jesus mode. He thinks he thinks he can prevent Jesus's death and and journey to the cross. And of course that's not the case because how does Jesus respond to Peter's bold and weirdly um weirdly uh I don't know, brave act? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, I that must be in an, another gospel because you're right. He does. He touches the ear and it's healed. But I love the way that Jesus responds. He seems to be saying, Peter, we're, we're not going to win the battle this way. And if you think you can keep me from going to the cross, that, that's not how this is going to happen. I have to go. I have to go and drink the cup, the cup of my Father's wrath that's given to me. You can't be the one to protect me, Peter. I got to go and fight the battle for you, not the other way around. It's, it's another beautiful picture of of Peter trying hard for Jesus instead of recognizing what Jesus wants to do for him. And I might be reading too much into the text, but I have to wonder if Peter's kind of in freak-out mode right now. Because Jesus has just told him, you're going to betray me three times. And even though Peter was like, "That's of course not, I'm not going to fall away, I wonder if Peter is, is kind of freaking out. I wonder if he's thinking, I could betray Jesus at any moment. So I wonder if he's kind of on on hyperactive mode right now, leading him to do something as dramatic as cut off the ear of of a soldier that's coming to arrest Jesus. I don't know. But I I think for me, you know, when my faith feels exceptionally weak, 
I can go into hyperactive performance, gold star for Jesus mode, just like Peter's doing here. All right, and now the infamous scene, the denial. This again is in all four Gospels. It was honestly hard to choose which one, but we're going to look at Matthew's account of, of Peter's threefold denial. Okay, so Jesus, as you know, is taken from the Mount of Olives where he's been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's taken into, into Jerusalem, into the, um, into the high priest Caiaphas's um, court where he's being held on trial. So now outside, here's the scene. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. She said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he again denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to evoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Ooh, okay. So, Peter hasn't left Jesus' side just yet, right? Uh, we don't, I don't know where all the disciple, where the other disciples were at this point. But, Peter, Peter's still hanging in there a little bit. Peter can't come inside because he is um, he's a Galilean. Well, I guess Jesus was a Galilean too. Peter can't come inside because it was the high priest. Only a, only a select few could go in there. So he's hanging outside by the fire. And denial number one happens how? Who, who, um, who confronts Peter and asks him, Hey, didn't I see you with Jesus? Yeah, the servant girl. And what do we know about women and children in the ancient Near East? Yeah, right. Yes. That, good, good tying that back. Yes. So, the, I mean, I think this is just like beautiful irony here. It's a woman, it's a child, and it's a servant. I mean, that, that was probably about as low as you could get on the totem pole. And even in front of her, Peter folds, you know, I, I don't know what you're talking about, little girl. And that's denial number one. Okay, denial number two, a second servant girl comes and says, you are with Jesus. He denies it again with an oath. And it's just now occurring to me that Jesus, um, I believe it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Doesn't Jesus have a word to say about, about taking an oath? So Peter's, Peter's really not doing so hot right now. He denies it with an oath. And notice it goes from, I do not know what you mean, to I do not know the man. His denial is intensifying. And then number three, the bystanders came up and said, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. So I thought this was kind of cool. Peter was from Galilee, and they, they, they were kind of the hicks. I, I, didn't, I always forget that, but Peter would have had an accent, particularly in, the, in kind of the hubbub of Jerusalem. He would have stuck out by his accent. The deny intensifies. He says, I do not know the man. And this time he does it. He invokes a curse on himself. So he is adamant about denying that he knows Jesus. And of course, what Jesus says comes true. The rooster crows. Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. And Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. That, that's an important part of, of Peter's story, I think. But 
let, let's kind of ask ourselves, what is, what is at the heart of Peter's denial? We know that we know the story about Peter denying Jesus three times. But why, why do you guys think this is? Why could Peter not even tell the truth to a servant girl? Fear. Fear. What, what do you think he was afraid of? Yes. And rightfully so. You know, I want to give Peter some credit there. If Peter had said, yeah, I know Jesus, and yeah, I believe he's king of the Jews, he, he, he would have been arrested and probably killed. So, you know, as much as I like to think that I would have not denied Jesus if my life were on the line, who knows? I, my faith is just as weak, if not weaker, than Peter's. So, yeah, I mean, fear. I think, too, there's just, we see this all throughout Peter's life, but Peter has such a fear of man. He's so, so worried about what other people are going to think about him. That's why he's always got to do more for Jesus. He wants to be the one that's impressive and the one that has the right answers and the one that looks good. He's, he doesn't want to be associated with this guy that's being inside, being tried for treason. He doesn't want to be associated with that because of how it's going to make him look. And John, I think you alluded to this a couple weeks ago about the scene we, we're going to see in Galatians. What, what scene is that? Would you remind us? It's all by grace and not by works. And um, so it was an interesting confrontation between two apostles. Uh, it really is, yes. And he it wanted to be liked by the, the Jews and he separated himself from the Gentiles. Exactly, exactly. Peter was really worried about what other people were going to think about him, and so he went and sat back with the Jews. And so even though in a couple weeks we're going to see a, a transformed Peter, it's still really the same Peter at the at the bottom of it. So yeah, I think there's a fear of man. There's a fear of, of death. Any other things you think that are going on with Peter's denial? I think he's always wanting Jesus to follow his script. Mm, mm, that's really good. Right, mm. Yes. Oh, that's really good. I'm so glad you said that because I think that's another huge theme in Peter's life. He wants Jesus on his own terms, not the other way around. Peter has a skewed view of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I think in Peter's mind at this point, Jesus is still is still going to be the one that gets Peter where he wants to go. You know, the he's going to be the, the Messiah, the conqueror, the ruler, not the one that's going to the cross. And so I, that's a great observation that Peter's always trying to get Jesus to follow his script rather than the other way around, allowing Jesus to write the story for Peter's life. And I meant to say this at the beginning of the story, but this is, I think, one really beautiful thing to remember when we read the story is that Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. I forget that a lot because he's God but he was also fully human. And so Jesus would have fully felt the sting of having his closest friends turn his back on him. I, I can't imagine how much that must have hurt Jesus's heart. So it, for me, it's a good reminder that when people that we know and love betray us, 
Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. He, he's our, our high priest who is able to sympathize with, with our weaknesses. So that, I, that, stu- that stuck out to me as I was rereading the story, that Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed, which is pretty profound. Well, I mean, as God, he would know it even more. I mean, look at the difference between a covenant and a contract. Mm. I mean, other than the flood, <laughs> God isn't really taking it out on people very much, and we're doing pretty bad things all throughout the Old Testament. That's the whole story is and coming back and sort of but not really quite getting there wow yeah that's a really really good point that we you know we're we're peters every day of our life really when we when we break the covenant that that god has entered into with us with our disobedience that's really that's really good yeah um and okay this this idea of peter weeping i i love that this is the language that that matthew uses and i'm pretty sure all the gospels note that he cries in john it's really dramatic it says jesus looked at peter and he went outside and wept bitterly oh that just gives you chills doesn't it so this idea of of peter weeping bitterly over the fact that indeed he has denied jesus three times to me this is this is the moment this is the moment that peter's life is going to be turned around because if earlier peter said Oh, I, I, I don't need you to wash me. I'm going to be the one to wash you. This is when I think Peter is really going to begin to realize, I need a Savior. I need a Savior to come and wash my feet. And you know, earlier when Jesus said, you won't have a share with me unless I wash you, it's interesting now that Peter really is saying, I don't have a share with him. And yet he's realizing now the depth of his sin. He's realizing that, oh, it's, it's way worse than I thought, and I need a Savior, and I need, I need Jesus to come and restore me. It's, and it's a reminder to us that I think something like this, a, a moment of epic failure as big as this one, it's actually a really good thing for us as followers of Jesus because the Lord often uses them to convict us of our sin, to remind us of our sin, and to turn us back to Him. And that's what we'll see at the end of John's gospel next, next time we look at Peter, of, of the way that instances like this are the gateway into us being restored back to fellowship with the Father. Because there are moments where we, we see the depth of our sin and we realize how much in need of a Savior we are. I believe it's in, Gil, you would know this, one of the Corinthians. Is it second or first when Paul talks about godly grief produces repentance, but worldly now I can't remember it. Godly grief produces repentance. Worldly grief produces death. Is that what it is? Oh, you haven't memorized all the Corinthian skill? <laughs> Clearly I haven't either. But there's this idea that Paul fleshes out in one of the letters to the Corinthians about godly grief produces repentance. And I think Peter right here is, is at the very tip of experiencing godly grief, a grief that is going to lead him to repentance, lead him to restoration with the Father. And praise God, we're not going to see Peter again until after Jesus has, re- has been resurrected. But is this the end of Peter's story? No, obviously not. We, we, we know that First and Second Peter and the book of Acts tell us it is quite the end, of, quite the opposite of the end from Peter's story. And what good news. You know, remember if, that I said, if you remember nothing else, it's that Jesus loves Peter to the end, to the telos. And the same is true of us. 
in the face of our denial, in the face of our weak faith, in the face of us trying to perform for Jesus instead of letting him serve us, letting him wash us, (coughs) Jesus loves us to the end. And that's the story of Peter's life. That's the story of of, of your and I's life as well. Um, you and mine? Uh, our lives. <laughs> Whatever. Um, and so if you come back in a couple weeks when we do Peter week three, we'll really get to see this. We'll get to see this beautiful scene uh, on the beach in John with Peter and Jesus. And then we'll look a little bit more at Peter's life post Jesus's ascension. But anyone have any thoughts or comments about these stories or just about Peter in general or... Ooh. Mm. The weight that he feels and how clearly he sees himself mm. crushing them. Wow. That is really, really good, Forsyth. Yes. The remembrance of them is intolerable. I wish I felt that more. You know, like that's that's what I mean when I earlier I really think that's something to pray for. I know that sounds so so odd, but Lord, I I want I want that awareness of my sin. I was reading uh first Peter yesterday and um I was uh, in the wake of like all the cultural dissension, especially at the end of last week. I was going to leave uh, a group that I work out with and sort of a little Bible study yesterday. F three. I was talking about yes. I was talking about re- the idea of like res- we're resident aliens, mm. you know, and that's from Peter. And I think it's so interesting that you're right. I mean, he is like, I want to be accepted. I want to be. And then when after Jesus dies and he goes through this change, he's the one saying. I don't know, we're set apart. Mm. We don't care, like, what, you know, we live separate and apart from the very culture that here he's trying to assimilate into and make sure he's approved by. That's, I think that's significant about the heart change. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really good. Yeah. And it's this, this, I think, again, is the gateway to that heart change, this yeah. moment. That's really good. You know, I've been reading through First Peter 2, just trying to kind of get, get in a Peter state of mind, and... Mm-hmm. Peter also talks about in that book, always be ready to make a defense of, of your faith for the hope that is within you. And I think it's so interesting that Peter's the one that tells us to do that when this, that's the very thing he failed to do here. Uh, there, there's a lot of cool parallels. Um, obviously, there are cool parallels because it's the same Peter. But if you read First Peter with, with the remembrance of who Peter was as he was following Jesus... Mm. What happened to both men after their betrayal? Yeah. Peter's betrayal was as awful as Judas's. Right. Yeah, we could do a whole a whole nother class on that. You know, which guy are you on the cross on either side of Jesus? Yeah. Um, That's that's sort of Judas and Peter. Mm. And if if I'm not misquoting Paul by godly grief produces repentance, worldly grief leads to death, that's Judas. Does anyone know what, what, what verse I'm talking about? despair that's a little less severe than death but um yes <laughs> right right exactly when it comes back to the heart and i think our actions aren't always evident of our heart but thankfully god knows our hearts yes much better than we do much much better well i i love talking about peter with you guys thank you and not this next week, but
but the following, we'll, we'll get week three, we'll, we'll round out the Peter journey. But let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for your servant Peter. Lord, we thank you that you are patient, that you are gracious, that you are merciful with, with those whose faith, whose faith is weak. Um, thank you, Lord, for holding us fast and for loving us to the end. Um, God, pray that the words we've heard today would remain in us and that they would change us, Lord. Um, pray that we would love you more, know you more, and serve you more. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.